Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, listeners. Hello. This is a brief disclaimer to say the podcast you're about to listen to is been edited by two men. Katie's gone, and <laughs> yeah. just the lack of X chromosomes has resulted in a substandard uh it's a mess it's a mess it's It's a total mess it's a fucking disaster the producer's out we've had to go to a different place the acoustics aren't as good the microphones have not been set up as well it's all pretty haphazard to be perfectly honest but please don't stop listening the content is is still well it's it's okay well that's all right i don't know if that's quite up to how it was before without the um, inspirational presence of our previous producer and i just want to put out a personal call to katie if you're listening wherever you are come home please come back please come home we need you we're sorry for the things we said yeah and how we said it i'm sorry for the things i promised to do i'm sorry for the things i did in the past and i'm sorry for what i'm doing right now just come back stop stop doing that (laughs) sorry that's why she left so anyway on with the show i'm sure it's going to be a cracker yay Yay. (laughs) (laughs) okay Hello and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast all about a young travel bookshop proprietor called Sam Foster, whose life has turned upside down when he accidentally spills orange juice on the most successful actress on the planet, Danny Moran. That's me. Soon a romance blossoms between us, and I meet Sam's hilarious friends, such as the one from Blackadder, the one from the Vicar of Dibley, and the Scottish one. Can our relationship survive the pressure of life under the spotlight? I guess I'll just have to remind Sam that I'm just a boy, standing in front of a boy, asking him to love a boy. Is what I would be saying if this was a podaptation of Notting Hill, that amazing Richard Curtis film. However, this is in fact just a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Dan Moran, and joining me is my charmingly befuddled love interest, Sam Foster. Hello. Um, did you mean the Welsh one when you said the Scottish one? Or is isn't, that... he, isn't he... Oh, yeah, he's... Reece Francis Welsh. Uh, you know. The people of Scotland and the people of Wales will both be fuming when they listen to this. No, I meant Gina McKee. That's what I meant. Ah, uh, yeah. I may be thinking of Reese Gina Evans. McKee! <laughs> but no! of the wheelchair-bound uh, wife of yeah. the Blackadder one. Uh, yeah, extraordinarily Scottish woman. <laughs> so. Phew, <clears throat> <laughs> smooth recovery. Things get a little bit cray-cray this week as we review East End gangster biopic Legend in which a dedicated Tom Hardy plays both main characters, as well as five supporting roles, three animals, and an ice sculpture. 
Danny also found time to zonk out in front of the stoner action flick American Ultra, in which Jesse Eisenberg smokes ass and kicks weed, or is it the way around? We also reveal what Empire Online meant when they published a news story headlined Ice Cube Unwraps Humbug, take a look at the latest attempt to rescue a live adaptation of Akira from development hell, and mansplain to our listeners what the word Damon-splaining means. Finally, there should be time for me to read excerpts from my latest memoir, Life at the Top, 11 months doing this podcast. My follow-up to Glory Story, 10 months cultivating a tiny online audience, and I Drip Fame, 9 months recording chit-chat at my mate's house. Let's do it. Eat your bestseller, by the Woo-hoo. way. Woohoo! Hello. So in what seems like years ago, about two weeks ago, uh, before we had released our last podcast episode, but after we recorded it, Chris sent us a message about um, a new Aaron Sorkin project. He's moving on from jobs. He's looking for another job. Yeah. And um, it has been announced that he will be writing a biopic of the Hollywood and television star Lucille Ball with Kate uh, Blanchett playing Lucille. And it's going to be called Balls, right? It's going to be called Balls. It's about the whole family. Um, yeah. Yeah. What does yeah. Chris ask? Chris says, Okay, I really dislike Sorkin talking, and I can't imagine anything less suited to it than this. Does this mean it's actually going to be good? I can't make up my mind without film chat. How much do you know about Lucille Ball, Danny? I know she was in that TV series called I Love Lucy, mm-hmm. which is probably a part of the cultural landscape if you're American, but, you know... I have, I'm not American. You're half American, so... I think there's a Widow Yankovic song um, about it, or referencing it. I think that's probably the most I know about it. I don't know. Will she a fast-talking, sort of, smart-ass? Cause that's what well, Sorkin she is. will be in, the, in, in this movie, <laughs> uh, I assume. It, 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 if you'd says... invented I Love Lucy, you would have invented I Love Lucy. <laughs> it lines like that. Yeah, exactly. All it says here is that it will follow her early days as an actress on I Love Lucy and her 20-year marriage to co-star Desi Arnaz or Arnaz, or whatever, along with their eventual divorce in 1960. I thought Sorkin just made biopics about um, white guys. Cool, smart white guys. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that's his thing. White, like, white women smart now, Smart white guys. What? 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 <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I guess cautious pessimism, that would be my approach to that. Yeah. I, we'll I, see I, how Jobs turns out. We'll see, yeah, we'll see how Jobs turns out, Chris, and then we'll get back to you about the balls <laughs> if you know what i mean so regular correspondent jake hoskins emailed in messaging rather with an uh, interesting pulp fiction alternate cast list mm, this, leaked. Just, this that, leaked that makes it sound like it was really top secret before but yeah, i'm not sure it's that much of a bombshell now like I mean, 20 it, years later <laughs> exactly which was all the alternate casting and casting ideas for actors if you can get his first choices it makes some interesting reading you pretty much want Gary Oldman for all the roles if you couldn't get his original actors. 
Which makes sense. Makes, makes perfect sense. He could have played all the roles. Yeah. Uh, Jake asks, what would be your ideal second choices for all the characters from the list? Well... Have you, have you perused the list, Danny, in detail? I perused the list for Pumpkin, which is Tim Roth's character. I think just go for Gary Oldman. You can't get a sort of the, your main East End swaggering... Well, who was, uh, who was uh, Tarantino's alternate pick? He wanted Johnny Depp for it. That was his, like, strong second choice. Uh, yeah. And he can do a Unfortunately, Tim Ross said yes. Unfortunately, Tim Ross said yes. Because that would have been so weird. Yeah. And he also had Christian Slater on that list. He had Christian Slater and Patricia Roquette for Pumpkin and Honey Bunny, so it would have just been like... It would have Clarence. been like True Romance. Yeah, True Romance. Yeah, that would, that, would have been, that would have been really cool, That would have been quite sweet, really. Yeah. And he's sort of dressed the same as Clarence is from True Romance. That's like, true. Like, Hawaiian shirt. Yeah. Maybe he is Clarence, pretty much. Is that, like, British... But British. British Clarence. British Clarence. Yeah, Clarence, as we'd say in this country. <laughs> yeah, I would have gone for Gary Oldman for Pumpkin. I think Patricia Roquette for Honey Bunny is really good. I'm, I kind of boringly would just go for the actors closest to the ones that were cast. It's kind of incredible how many options he's given himself. And, it, and it's cool that there are so many people who he would work with later. He's obviously like, I really wanted to work with these actors. I like the idea of having Nicolas Cage as... Like, he has so many... This guy's in like two scenes. Yeah. There's so many different people to play Lance. Maybe there's like an earlier draft when that was a much more significant character. But Perhaps. Nicholas Cage, I think, would have been brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then I say that, I'd probably say that. My guys can anymore. handle my shit. <laughs> they should be fucking dead. No trial. A little black marker. Yeah. A little black book. What would he say? He's good at my shouting, medicine isn't he? Yeah. yeah, he's good at shouting. So, he's a great shouting actor. It's actually. a very shouty part. I like that John Travolta is marked here as a strong, strong, strong second choice. He's better than Michael Madsen. Yeah, he's, he's much better than Michael Madsen. Michael like, Madsen can do that one thing really well. He right? meant like stronger, stronger, stronger second choice. <laughs> as in like better than the first choice. Yeah, harder, better, faster, stronger option. Yeah. yeah. The first choice was strong, the second option is stronger. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, the one the bomber list is the one you really want to cast. It's quite cool that as, as well that he's got Jennifer Jason Leigh down as an option for Jodie, and now he's working with her. Yeah, that's like, pretty he's cool. He's had this 20-year desire to work with Jennifer Jason Leigh. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I hadn't really prepared any kind of alternate cast members in advance, Jake. Sorry. You'd think that after that break, I'd have, you know, be, like, super well-prepared, but not really. <laughs> Fair enough. Sorry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Danny's suggestion of having everyone as Gary Oldman both because that would make it a great film and also because it doesn't require me to have to think yeah. to suggest it. Do like a sort of Eddie Murphy film but Gary Oldman playing all the roles. Yeah. It'd be I think, great. I think that's the only thing that would have made Pulp Fiction a more beloved uh, movie than it is. Yeah, after, now I've seen Legend. Like, they've got the technology now, right? They probably had it in 1984 as well. You well, once you've seen Legend, uh, Tom Hardy is very successful as two characters and it makes you think, like, given the clear dearth of acting talent there is out there, every yeah. movie should really just divvy up between like, the three best actors you can get. Exactly. Just all the roles. Yeah. You know? Why is Zac Efron in films when Tom Hardy can be in all the films? Yeah, and then well, Tom Hardy could play all of Zac Efron's characters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. In a heartbeat. Done. Superhero films announced, casting rumours leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated, Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped, Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint, that's the news that's been to print. Twitter trending news. You know how I love the latest trends. I like to yeah. follow what's hashtagging. Of course you do. The, kids, the same way the kids do. What's, on the, what's got the hottest hashtag? And uh, there was lately a bit of controversy that um, is, you know, erupted on social media, sort of thing that can spread very quickly these days. Of course. Relating to Matt Damon, who's probably one of the most 
warmly considered of um, Hollywood icons he's around there. American hero, right? Pe- pe- people generally like him. He does a lot of sort of. He's like a, known as a liberal and does a lot of uh, good causes and that kind of thing. Yeah, but he fell afoul of uh, the Twitterati and you know probably other people as well. Um, when there was a sort of minor incident on his show called Project Greenlight, which is produced by um, himself and Ben Affleck, and is about finding new filmmakers and giving them their first feature film, wow. which is quite a cool idea. And according to the BBC, they were discussing one of the scripts, and Effie Brown, who is a Hollywood producer and was the only black or female panellist on the show, was concerned that the script in the script that they were discussing there was only one black character and it was a woman who was hit by a white pimp. Right. And the BBC says, She asked the group to be mindful of selecting a diverse directorial team. She suggested choosing one team that included a woman and a Vietnamese man. She urged the group to think about whoever this director is, the way they're going to treat the character of Harmony. It's presumably this sort of one black character. And Damon interrupted her to say that they should be thinking about diversity when they're casting the film, but not thinking about diversity when they're doing the show. Mm. And Brown's response was, wow. Um, presumably not like, wow, what a great point, Matt. <laughs> wow, you're a smart guy. He's smart. But probably more like, wow, I can't wow. believe you said that. Yeah. More like that. This took off on Twitter as hashtag Damon and uh, people were basically complaining about a uh, rich white man shouting down a black woman to tell her about diversity. And you can see how that doesn't look that great. Yeah. Yeah. Damon um, So, sorry, so he was... She was complaining there wasn't enough diversity on the show itself. On the show itself. Rather yeah. than in the... Rather than in the movie. Right, okay. I mean, she was saying that they had to be mindful of diversity in the directors who they were picking on the show. Yeah. Which... It's just being consistent, right? Yeah. If it matters on in the cast of the movie, presumably it also matters in your show. That's also sure. all cast media. So it was like Matt Damon sort of argument was... I, I don't want to, you know, speak for him, but like something to do with like positive discrimination where like we should just pick the best directors. That was exactly it, yeah. yeah. He, was, he was basically saying that we, sh- we should just be choosing who is best and not thinking about um, with the diversity of the, sure. of the picks, but he later apologized for you know if he offending people, and uh, he said he was glad to have started the conversation on it. It's actually a little bit like what Ben Affleck said when there was that thing about him trying to not reveal that one of his ancestors was a slave owner. Yeah, you remember when that came out. Yeah, yeah. and um, and he tried to put that under the carpet when he was doing Who Do You Think You Are? Yeah, or whatever the equivalent shows in the US. A slave owner. Yeah, so he's a bit embarrassed about that. Yeah, sure. Um, but then when that was found out, he was like, oh, I'm really glad for at least starting the conversation about slavery. I mean, that's a good response. Yeah. So if you ever get caught out in such a controversy, Danny, yeah, just talk at length about how delighted you are to be discussing the No topic. matter what, how heinous the crime is, yeah. that'll be my defense. Yeah. Ten- it turns out you got, like, uh, I don't know, a stash of photos of naked women that you're using to blackmail them. Yeah. And you're like, well, I'm glad I've started a debate about men blackmailing women. Yeah, revenge porn is a real hot button issue, and Guys, we need I'm, to discuss it more I'm openly. We, yeah, I'm happy to be the focus of this debate. Thank God I got caught out, so that we can have a debate that was long overdue. Exactly. That's a good way to go. Okay, thanks for that, man. Because... So, so thank you, Damon, for um, admitting your wrongdoing, and also thank you for that good tip about what to do if you're at the he's center like, of a scandal. You know, he's like a sort of like a cool Clint Eastwood. He's like an American hero but with the right political views or yeah. like the ones that chime with mine so yeah like the right ones and, and better vision probably he's not as squinty he's not as squinty he's not as light sensitive in his pupils <laughs> <laughs> he's got a far bigger range as an actor mm. it's a bad Clint isn't he it's a good Clint yeah. well you just mean that he sort of well he looks like a like all, all American all American hero hero kind of guy yeah but not in a sort of conservative way yeah 
Absolutely. So, end of uh, that chat. What do you think, listeners? Do you think Damon overstepped the bounds? Or is the Twitter uh, political correctness police just done a big dump on his innocent face? What do you reckon? Write in and let us know. Write in and let us know. Final bit of news. Ice Cube is having a great year. Straight out of Compton was a box of his smash, which he produced and his son starred in. Yeah, he must have an excellent family relationship with his son now. Exactly. And uh, obviously, 2120 Jump Street was really successful. And Ride Along, which got a bit savaged by the critics, but was a huge box of his smash. And Ride Along 2 is coming out soon. He loves playing Angry Policeman. Mm. He just loves it. He's yeah. so good at it. He did it so well on 21 Jump Street that that's just now him. Exactly. And so everyone's like, we've got to get Ice Cube in a new movie. Yeah. What's the best vehicle for Ice Cube? Obviously, a loose comedy riffing on A Christmas Carol <laughs> called Humbug, which is to be directed by his ride-along and barbershop director, Tim Story, who also directed the Fantastic Four movies back in the day. So obviously a genius director. And obviously, her. yeah. So... <laughs> So what do we know about this movie so far? Very little. Other it's, than that it will be fantastic. It's written by Todd R. Jones and R. Richie Jones, who uh, wrote <coughs> The Johnson Family Vacation, which I've never heard of, and Rio, that, no. that parrot ah, yeah. uh, CGI film. Uh, we don't know whether it's going to be some sort of R-rated comedy or a more family friend like uh, Ice Cube's Are We There Yet series. Ah, I see. Because he, you know, he straddles the, the audiences, so Ice Cube. You can do family-friendly, yeah. you can do R-rated comedy, you can do, you can do hard-hitting you urban can do drama. You you, yeah. 18, 15, 12A. 17 probably. Unrated. Yeah. Like video not like can do X. X. Like, you know, porn has probably been in that. <laughs> Um, do you reckon they were just sort of like it just sounds like some sort of, sort of uh, script writing spitball sessions like Christmas snow cold ice ice cube of, sounds like a bit of ice a... cube Christmas <laughs> Christmas ice cube Christmas carol Christmas carol ice cube yeah maybe I, I was going to say it sounds a bit like an Alan Partridge pitch you know just two random <laughs> two random cultural things just thrown together um, though he is good at playing like sort of angry and you know pissed off at the world yeah it's essentially what Scrooge is that right? is what Scrooge is so A Christmas Carol is probably one of the most like readapted stories ever it seems yeah. to be a very very um, robust tale that can be put into loads of different contexts so. I love it I think it's great it is great but what can make it better is like an angry black guy as the lead yeah having seen him um, laying into that buffet in uh, 22 Jump Street where he's just shouting at all the food and destroying it yeah. for like quite a long time I, there's no one I'd rather see uh, get furious I hope it's all like a black rapper and comedian cast like Chris Tucker as Marley everyone is a rapper uh, Kevin Hart's quite short right so he could be Tiny Tim yeah well, it's like Kanye Kanye is Bob like... Cratchit <laughs> <laughs> Eddie Murphy is a ghost of Christmas past. Um, Will Smith is Marley. <laughs> no, I already said Marley. He's... Chris Tucker was Marley. Oh, sorry, you cast Marley. Cast really, Marley. Chris Tucker. Yeah. Well, there's, we got the, you know obviously there's the three ghosts. I'm not sure what other characters are. The three, the three ghosts can just be Della Soul. <laughs> that would be cool. Yeah. Yeah, that would actually be very cool. Just fill it with like all like the most like prominent black rappers, comedian, musicians. Make it like a huge like Black Pride movement what sort if, of film. What if it's just um, all like the roots, like everyone's yeah. in the roots? Get Questlove to be the Ghost of Christmas uh, Future. Yeah, he's why like not? a big guy, you know. So yeah. he'd be a good sort of Santa Claus type. And then just John Oliver. Yeah, as, as you know, just in the film. Yeah, just get John Oliver. Just hiding in the uh, in the background <laughs> in most scenes. Perfect. I just think that would add a little bit of extra spice. This is going to be great. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. 
End of the news. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it all scrunchingly poor? How did Danny form a judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off. So, American Ultra. I've seen a lot of posters for this, read a lot of tweets about this. What's it like? What is it? <laughs> so, to briefly explain the plot. So, Jesse Eisenberg and Christian Stewart, K. Stew, play uh, Mike and Phoebe. They're this young stoner couple living in a small rural town. Mike is the only successful... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. ...participant in a now defunct CIA training program. He's basically like born and his memory's been wiped so he doesn't know he's a killing machine. And he spends his days just smoking weed and working in a small Walmart and... Uh, designing a comic which isn't going anywhere. When an overzealous CIA agent called Yates, played by Topher Grace, uh, decides to eliminate Mike, he thinks he needs to get him off his books, he's like a danger. Mike's former handler, Victoria, played by Connie Britton, activates him to give him a chance to survive. And what follows is an, uh, a night where they're trying to kill Mike and Mike's got to use his newfound skills to defend off all these CIA agents and protect Phoebe from getting killed and also himself from being murdered. And it's like a sort of action romp genre hybrid. Mm. And it's written by Max Landis, who is the writer of Chronicle and also an angry Twitter nerd. And it's directed by Nima Nozadar, who is the director of Project X, which was that supposed like, absolutely supposedly terrible, right? Terribly reviewed film about like kids throwing a party. So got a slightly rough ride uh, with the critics and the box office and you can sort of see why it's like pretty much like it's a mess and it's like six different films at once is there is it hard to work out who the audience is for it or something like that yeah I think like the main problem boils down to just like it never knows what kind of film it's trying to be and it never really settles on a tone right and I think what it is, sounds like mega mega silly from that yeah description. I think things like the premise sounds almost like it could be bad like it's a one note joke about what if Jason Bourne instead of you know waking up on the sea was just smoking weed in a small town yeah yeah but um, to its credit the problem with the movie is not because it's one note because there's just too much going on and the script when it's successful focuses on this quite sweet love story between Jesse Eisenberg and uh, Kristen Stewart's character and they're like the best things in the movie by far because they've worked together before on Adventureland and they have this natural charisma, and you sort of buy them as a couple. And one of, like, one of the most successful elements of the film is that it establishes dynamic where Phoebe is like Mike's girlfriend, almost slash mother. And right. like, he's like this sort of naive kind of idiot guy, and she sort of looks after him and makes sure he doesn't, you know, touch the stove when it's hot and stuff. You know, he's like a bit of an idiot. And yeah. then through the plot twist, he becomes the more dominant person in the relationship, and he has to protect her. So it's like this nice little inversion yeah, yeah. when the genre twists, so does their dynamic. And there's like little touches like that which suggests like a more accomplished version of this movie. But those bits are sort of lost in a film which doesn't really know what it's trying to be. And uh, it's like very baggy and full of supporting characters which don't really go anywhere. 
a lot of them die for a start, spoiler alert. And you're like, why have I spent 20 minutes with this very dialogue-heavy character for him to just not really serve much plot purpose? Yeah. Yeah, I read one quite scathing review where it said it was this genre mashup which took the worst of both genres. And that's sort of true to an extent in that it's got that sort of Bourne movie thing where the action scenes interspersed with the CIA people back at pace going like, oh my God, where'd he go? Track his passport. And there's a lot of those kind of sequences. And I feel like there was an attempt to like take those scenes which were sort of very expositional in nature and try and make them into sort of fun character scenes. But basically, Topher Grace doesn't have enough good jokes or an interest enough a character to make his role any more than sort of plot um, related, you know what I mean? Like, you don't really care about him. He's just there as the antagonist and he never gets beyond that. Yeah. And I feel the script is trying to like push it into like a sort of fun comedy character thing, but it doesn't really pull it off. Um, but saying that, there's like, there's definitely a lot in it, you know. I can't really say, it's, it's not like a lazy film because there's so much going on. And the bits that are really successful are, you get the sense that the writer is like a sort of Joss Whedon-esque nerd who's really thought about his action sequences and the comedy beats. And it's got that Joss Whedon thing of subverting tropes. Mm. That's where the joy of the movie comes from. And there's a lot of riffing on that Bourne thing of using household objects as weapons. Yeah. And that's kind of fun, but it's just sort of a bit lost. Thinking about it, I was sort of reminded of uh, films which have a sort of funny pitch, which are really good. And maybe it's unfair to compare it to films like Shaun of the Dead or Attack the Block. But I think those are films which, on paper, could easily go very wrong. Which is like, you could easily see like the shit version of like, what if some hoodies fought some aliens? Or, you know, what if some guys encountered some zombies? And I think what those films have and what, what this film uh, lacks is a director which really nails, knows its genre. So the funny bits are funny and the horror bits are horrific and the action bits are really action-packed and it can like really comfortably switch those tones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas this one never really settles into a groove and you feel like the director was most at ease with the action beats but they don't really land because it hasn't really established the characters properly and the comedy doesn't work because that hasn't been set up. And yeah, it's yeah. like basically like a few fundamental flaws early on sort of ricochet throughout the film and so it never really gets off the ground. But I laughed, like, a few times. It's probably not... I wouldn't rush to go see it, but I think if you caught it on TV, it's, like, you know, passes the time quite... Did you cry? No. I wish it focused more on, like, the love story, because that's, like, the winning element of it. Because um, you kind of believe in Christian Stewart and Jesse Eisenberg. I'd say Christian Stewart in a love story that I believed in. Really refreshing. <laughs> well, exactly. Change. Well, she's really great in Adventureland. Like, maybe it's just my residual warmth towards that movie sort of carried me into this one. I was like, hey, they're still together. Mm. <laughs> and now yeah. they smoke ganja all the time. But hey, you know. Yeah. So, I don't know. Watch it on TV. If it comes on TV, I don't know. Watch it on Netflix. Ooh, time for a break from all the film chat. Have a cup of tea, maybe make a quick snack and telephone a friend so you know. So, uh, the movie I went to see um, once I got back from my latest adventures was Legend. It's a gangster epic with Tom Hardy in a record two performances in the same film. Um, he's playing both of the Cray twins who were um, East End gangster legends, as the title suggests. Um, and uh, they were very famous in the 60s. They were kind of minor celebrities and they hobnobbed 
um, with various other um, 60s stars, but also were criminals extorting and you know <laughs> violently beating people up and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Anne and they both uh, went to prison and died there. <laughs> yeah. I think Ronnie died in like a mental institution and Reggie died in uh, normal prison because he wasn't as crazy. And this movie picks up when they're already kind of established. At the beginning of the movie, Ronnie is in the madhouse. Um, as they probably call it in a non-PC way. And uh, Reggie is a sort of criminal. He sort of swags about the East End. Everyone loves him. And he's being haunted by a policeman played by Christopher Eggleston. Yeah, and it kind of moves on from there. It sort of felt a bit like a, uh, um, it was adapted from a graphic novel or something like that. It has this kind of slickness to it and this kind of um, sheen on the, uh, on the whole movie that make, doesn't ever feel like quite real. I kind, yeah. of, I kind of wasn't thinking that much about the historical accuracy of it during the movie because it felt like such a movie that it almost wasn't... Well, it's written and directed by issue. Brian Hedgeland, who is uh, American. Yeah. And I think you can sort of... You can tell. It's I, got like a foreigner's uh, eye. Yeah, yeah. So it that sounds... It's got a foreigner's eye. But it's got someone who obviously... It's like a touristy movie. Yeah, in that it's respect. not his milieu. Yeah, exactly. But, but you, you, yeah, you can tell that. It romanticises the East End like quite a lot. Uh, but, it, but it's also... Um, there are occasional moments where you can just tell that it's not, not not that I'm you know that I could write the most authentic '60s East End film ever or anything. But there's just well, a few moments could... where there's sort of you feel like he's doing sort of British culture or something that doesn't quite ring true. Yeah. The characters are always going about tea. I think more than like British people actually do. Yeah. And uh, there's this one scene. This is more of a sort of you know end of review trivial <laughs> point than a beginning of review <laughs> key point. But there's that one scene where his wife meets his mum. And she disapproves of the way his wife makes tea, and uh, and it's just like, come on, you know, <laughs> that's not a come thing. on, Brian. It's like making tea is a sort of incredibly complex process. It's like, yeah, I don't know. It's just a few things that seem to be inauthentic. But um, in general, like, basically, what I would say about it is that, like, I enjoyed watching it, but it was a very, very by the numbers gangster story. Like, there's certain um, plot points that gangster movies tend to hit. Goodfellas being the sort of um, archetype of this sort of thing and uh, other movies that charter gangster career similar like you know Scarface or Blow and movies like that where it's the kind of rise to power and they start off kind of nice and they get too much power and then they become mean and they start like becoming mean to their women and then like it all comes crashing down around them type of thing and then you know their hubris overwhelms them and then they uh, end up getting punished for their sins everything like that and you can kind of know, you just know where it's going like, the whole time, um, which is a little boring. But it's elevated by the two performances by Tom Hardy, which I, I just, I mean, you know, I don't know. I think they fit the tone of the film, which is not 100% real life. I mean, it's obviously, it's very, very much a, um, a movie rather than um, a depiction of how things actually work. Yeah, completely. It's a bit like, um, you know, American gangster movie, like by way of Guy Ritchie or something like that. And, and I think he gets that, um, he, he, he pitches that exactly right in a way where his performance feels very committed, but um, is very like larger than life, both of them. Yeah, it's um, fun. And it's fun. It's like, it's just fun to watch him do ev- everything he does. And I think that his, particularly Ronnie Cray, I think um, Brian Helgeland has uh, relished writing him a lot. And he gets a lot of fun stuff to do, even though his character is like absurd. He looks and sounds like... Um, Peter O'Hanrahan day to day but like a giant like muscular version of him yeah um, and he's like totally ridiculous absolutely ridiculous character but um, but he's like very entertaining to watch yeah I agree I think in a way the way the 
characters are portrayed are sort of symptomatic of the film in that Reggie is who is the more normal of the brothers is played relatively straight by Tom Hardy and then Ronnie who is the paranoid schizophrenic homosexual nut job is like a very borderline cartoonish sort of comedy performance yeah and the film for like a certain stretch is like the sort of fun gangsters very zippy and then like at, one, at some point it sort of decides oh we've got to make a sort of proper drama now and then like these sort of darker twists come into it which don't really work because it's like I thought I was watching this sort of fun 60s caper movie and now I've got to actually confront the brutalism of these characters absolutely I they yeah were caricatures yeah yeah completely especially because Reggie is um made out to be this likely lad, sort of friendly, happy-go-lucky dude. And then it just very abruptly, he becomes like, you know, this awful crime lord. Yeah. And it just doesn't, you know... There was no hint of it before. No, yeah, there's no hint of it. I mean, even the way that he treats, like... There's a scene early on where um, a lot of these scenes that you feel like you've just seen in like a million times, and it's like the interest is like, how will they be done slightly fresh, you know, rather than what's going to happen? And there's a scene where someone is brought before him who is done, is done bad, and he's one of his uh, underlings, and he's kind of cowering. And it's like, well, you know, how will he treat him? And he just kind of, uh, he's sort of nice to him, and then he gives him, he punches him, and he's like, don't do it again, you know. Because yeah. um, <laughs> he sounds like Michael Caine. And, uh, and it's like, that wasn't that bad. You know, yeah. in another movie that he would just be stabbed to death like immediately. Yeah, yeah, like exactly. So you think he's basically all right, you know. Yeah. And even the way he treats his love interest, Emily Browning, who gets like fuck all to do in this film, uh, he's like much nicer than the usual gangster character is. He's quite sensitive and uh, everything like that. But then all these kind of like tropes come in later on in the movie of the sort of evil uh, crime guy, and it just like it's just like whether you know, yeah, yeah. it really comes out of the blue. I think we should probably talk a bit about Emily Browning, who yeah, plays Francis, yeah. who is Reggie's wife, yeah. and narrates the film. Very, very strange decision to have her narrate the whole film. So it's weird because she's very much a supporting character, but he's decided, uh, Brian Hedges, to put like in the centre of the movie by making a narrator. Yeah. But that just sort of exacerbates the problem of how underwritten she is, because yeah, you're absolutely agree, reminded yeah. of this character is like, who? Francis? Oh, you're here. Well, you spend all this time with her in the movie as though she has got as much dramatic, um, much of a dramatic journey to go on as the brothers do, but she just doesn't. Yeah. I don't know. It's like, the the basic problem is that because of the setup of the society, I guess, that you have these two guys who the movie is about and they have a career and they have their, you know, like love life and everything like that. Um, and uh, they have all this dramatic stuff to deal with, like problems that crop up in the gang stuff they're trying to do, that kind of thing. And she has nothing to do except deal with Reggie. And, yeah. And you you keep uh, she's in it a lot, but her um, her entire role in the film is just that one thing, you know. Yeah. It's like, do I love Reggie? Do I have a problem with him being a gangster? Like, blah blah blah. And just by having giving her more screen time and giving a narration, it doesn't add extra depth to the character. Yeah, I think Emily Browning does a very commendable job of uh, yeah. that character. No, I think there's she's very little. She's quite good. Page. She's trying to act, she's trying to act a lot, um, but she doesn't have that much to do, unfortunately. But I don't know. But Tom Hardy it's is fun. so entertaining. I think he sort of pulls you through it. He's just. You know, I think it's worth it's worth watching for for Tom Hardy's performance and uh, some of the lines. Like I don't know if the lines are good or if he just delivers them so well that it seems like they are. Yeah. There's some some of this. Um, he delivers some stuff really well. Yeah, I laughed aloud a lot. Yeah. Oh, I did. I was. Yeah. I was. 
um, watching it with Marianne and she was not like laughing as much as I was. I started to feel like a silly because I was, I was laughing all the time and like everything Ronnie uh, was doing. <laughs> found it really funny. Um, and so, yeah. I don't know, it's, it's directed with some pash, like some bits of it are quite good. I'd give it a lukewarm recommendation. Yeah. So, so, like, yeah. It's like, if, if you, if you um, are up for a very down the line like gangster movie where you don't want too many plot surprises but you just, you know, want to see it sort of that done like relatively competently then by all means. Yeah. Go for it. 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 Yesterday I bumped into Imelda Staunton. She was up with her dog and we got talking. I asked her what she does when she isn't acting. She said she likes podcasts for relaxing. Imelda, when you're in the mood, what do you listen to? So, breaking news, um, which is why we didn't discuss it earlier, but the much-anticipated Pacific Rim 2, the sequel to Pacific Rim, has very tragically no, been no. put on hold. Oh my god. I know. There were, um, you know Pacific Rim's my favourite movie, Sam. I know it is, Danny. I remember we, we saw it together, we both loved it. For the unaware, it's a very exciting science fiction film um, about a world which has been attacked by giant monsters from the sea. Yeah. And the only way humanity could face them off is by building a massive wall around the Earth and building giant robots to go and fight the monsters. To fight them, yeah, obviously. So how are you going to do it? Yeah. Yeah, you've got to fight fire with fire, right? So you've got a giant monster, you build your own giant monster. Yeah. And uh, it was total nonsense. But Idris Elba was in it. He was quite fun. It's like the sort of general of the human survivors kind of thing. Yeah. And um, uh, he was about to bring out his sequel album to um, Murder Loves John. Remember Murder Loves John? Yeah, the Luther about album. John Luther. Well, his second favourite character after John Luther was obviously um, Stacker Pentecost. Sure. Which is an even better name than From John Pacific Luther. Rim, the character playing Pacific From Pacific Rim. Rim. Yeah, very, very well known for um, his speech at the end where he rouses humanity's last defenders and declares that they're cancelling the apocalypse and stuff before they go out to fight the monsters. Pretty badass. It's pretty badass. So he was going to do another one. That one was going to be called Stacker Loves Rim. Yeah. Um, for obvious reasons. Sure, nothing funny about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but... Um, now that the movie's been cancelled, uh, Pacific Room 2 has been... Well, it's been put on indefinite hold, so who knows if we it might be made it. or not. It might be made. Um, he's had to amend his album because it won't be coming out in the same context. So he has released an early track which laments the death of Pacific Room 2 and we're able to offer a, a brief a little glimpse at the sort of content of that track. So, Enjoy. Used to be a soldier in a big war Fought the monsters at our door I was marshalled at a Pentecost But all that might be lost I was the most badass character in a movie called Pacific Rim I love him, I love him First I was told a sequel was planned But Universal threw that in the bin No more bin, no more They told me I would cancel the apocalypse again and they cancelled that, so I'd like to cancel them. I love him, I love I like fighting monsters, I like driving, I love robots, I like making speeches. Put me in a sequel now, please. Moving stuff. Thank you, um, is what Idris would say if he was here. <laughs>
because he did it, not me. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. The lyrics, very powerful. He's a real he's a real talent. I like how much he gets into his characters. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's method acting, and then there's actually inhabiting your character as a musician, which is just taking these to a whole new level. It's crazy. It's like more real than reality, you know? It's like taking your character to a higher plane. <laughs> you know what you're doing? You yeah. blow my mind. Thank you. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Thanks for listening to this, guys. Sorry it's not as well recorded as usual. Yeah. We're going to endeavor to improve our production game over the following weeks. We're going to work on it. We're going to get a team in to look at the lay of the land, see how things can be improved, um, maybe try out a few new producers. Um, not that anyone would, you know, frankly touch this thing with a barge pole if they had an ounce of sense. But, uh, yeah, we'll see. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. How things go? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Okay. See you next time, guys. Bye. Bye.